And so our scripture passage today does come from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 through 40. And we do pick up in the middle of a story that we're all likely familiar with, and that is that story of David and Goliath. And this is the story of David showing up on the scene, having been called by Saul to be his ringer, if you will, to face giant Goliath. And Saul sees what he did not expect to see. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine, Goliath. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David says to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears, and this Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried to walk in vain, for he was not used to them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took off his staff in his hand, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the dry creek bed and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch, his sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now this story of David and Goliath, it's one of those stories in the world is tagged on to religious or otherwise because it's such a celebrate story that celebrates so well what we might call the underdog and we we know how the story ends that he uses this stone to slay Goliath the same could be said in terms of being familiar to the world of the story of the good samaritan perhaps uh, sports networks tag on to this idea of David and this under David and Goliath and this underdog motif more than anyone. There's often talk about lopsided victories in games where one team is so strong and the other team is so weak, there's very little chance that the underdog was ever going to win. But when they do, we celebrate that, right? Yet if the weaker team wins, we hear that David has defeated Goliath. Or we can use this motif to to want folks to step in to seeing what is likely going to be a one-sided sporting event. And we say, be sure you watch just in case David defeats Goliath. Don't miss that. Now you could say in this story that it's game day in 1 Samuel. But the circumstances here in the story were they're far more serious than of some modern-day athletic David versus Goliath matchup. This is a story taking place in the context of an actual battle. Lives are at stake. 
And it was, as was sometimes the case in these days, instead of two opposing armies using all their resources to clash with one another's soldiers, both sides have agreed to choose their best soldier to battle on behalf of the entire army, a one-on-one, -on -one, if you will. And in such a case, the winner of this one-on-one -on -one encounters and decides the whole battle. And I need to say that the violence of this story, I pray, is not glamorized or celebrated. I do, think it, do not think it represents the kingdom of God and what God desires. And no doubt, violence that is. But no doubt that is prevalent in the story today and it must be wrestled with. But even so, I do believe that there is a word of grace and importance here wrapped up in the harsh realities of this story. So we might be familiar that the Philistines march out someone we call Goliath. Goliath comes out taunting the Israelites and the entire army of Saul is afraid. He is so big and strong that there's obviously no match for him. And as a result, no one seems be, to be willing to step out and to step up for the sake of the army. And Saul doesn't see one he wants to call forward. He isn't willing to put his fate into the hands of anyone else. Looks like Saul didn't know that the Philistines had a ringer on hands when he made the agreement. But Saul had heard about one of Jesse's sons. Now we met Jesse's family last week when, Saul, when Samuel anointed David to be the next king. Saul did not know who David was, and he did not know that one day David would be his successor, but he knew about David nonetheless. He had caught wind of his skills, this child of Jesse, and he sins for him. Now he had heard that he was a skillful, brave, and well-spoken, and someone who stood up against dangers while living in the wild and tending sheep and in Saul's mind, David must have been 10 feet tall and made of iron. But soon enough, prior to the passage I read today, David arrives. And I imagine Saul's face was one of shock because what walked up was this ruddy, handsome, small in stature kid. And not only this, but David didn't walk up carrying sword and shield. David walks up carrying a lyre to pluck along the way and to make music, a musical instrument his father would give him for the journey to bide his time. David had had the duty of supplying the armies during battles, but he'd never been considered a soldier, and they probably wouldn't have taken him seriously anyway if he had. Saul, as we pick up the story, is obviously disappointed. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a boy. He's been preparing his whole life to be a warrior, since his youth even. Now you see, Saul's thinking reflects the common notion that might must be met with might. Strength must be met with strength. Violence can over only be overcome with more dominant violence. And Saul has a dilemma because he thinks he lacks the resources to equal Goliath. Was he really seriously about to put his success into the hands of a shepherd carrying a lyre? 
Now everyone must have laughed under their breath at what was unfolding. But the time had come. He had to make a decision. But if they did laugh, it was only under their breath because none of them were wanting to step out as David was so boldly. So we have this moment of impasse. Will Saul give this young, ready youth an opportunity to defend his wishes and honors and the armies? Now, we all love a good David and Goliath story. We love the movies of where maybe a small town lawyer goes up against a big city lawyer, or a small team defeats the big team, and we gravitate towards the underdog stories across the spectrum of stories told in all times and places. But truthfully, who of us ever chooses to be David? Most of the time, don't we want what is bigger or stronger or, or more powerful? Don't we like to hedge our bets a little bit when we face our challenges? The truth is, most of the time, the smaller, the weaker, the less powerful, they indeed lose out. No one chooses to be David on purpose. And as one person writes, why do we still say we like the little guy? We want our movies and stories to be about David, but we spend our lives and our resources trying desperately hard to be more like Goliath. We don't plan on being weaker and smaller, not usually. But deep down, maybe there is a part of us always that desires to be, well, more like Goliath when we face our battles. When Paul saw the smallness of David, he responded much like any of us would. Okay, where's the armor? Where's the shorts? Here, take mine, put these on. You're going to need these. You won't last a minute out there if you don't. Deep down, Saul probably thought, well, we'll try to put on the best show as we possibly can. But maybe today's story begs us to ask a better question. Is there another way? I want to suggest that there is, but I also want to suggest it today that the only underdog in our story never was David. It was always Goliath. Goliath was always the underdog. In fact, the whole idea of being an underdog might actually be flawed. David was never weaker. We're tempted to read this story and think, no doubt as Saul did, that this young, ruddy, and liar-playing kid was weak, and somehow the miraculous happened and he overcame. But David never considered himself the underdog. David had faith that the Holy One was always and had always been with him when no one else did. Saul had long before dismissed God. And he had turned to might and power instead, just as any king of the day did. And once more, David had been preparing for this moment his whole life. He was living in the wilderness, fighting bears and wild animals. And Saul, on the other hand, had been asking others to fight his battles for him. He had made himself powerful off the backs of others. David had been spending time getting to know God by himself in his solitude. David lived a simple, quaint life. And he was familiar with using what was at hand to adapt and to make the best of things. 
He was resilient. Saul lived in opulence and ease, and Goliath had been busy beefing up and arming up and, well, learning how to talk trash better than anyone to tear others down. But David had seems to be learned to have been silent and strongly confident. So in truth, I do think this story contains evidence that David was never the weaker of those present. And maybe the truth is that when it looks like the weaker in our world overcome might, might as the world defines it, I might add, what we are really seeing are those who have actually been better prepared. How often do we see those like David thinking that folks are weak, are poor, are of less stature, and overlook their gifts and their depths and their faiths? When we see those like Saul in the world today, how often are we mistaken in thinking that they are too powerful to face? Or Goliath even. When we see Goliaths today, it's wise to return to this story and be reminded that God has turned upside down what power and faith really are. We stand against true Goliaths today in the world. Pandemics, racism, global poverty, and suffering environments, each and every one of them stand very tall, very much like Goliath. We have stood against many Goliaths in this world, and it seems that these Goliaths keep showing up time and again, taunting and wanting us to be afraid. Goliaths want to make it hard that for us to trust that the better days are ahead. And Goliath wants us to be afraid because it works to his advantage. And he takes up all the air in the room sometimes, talking louder and standing above everyone else. Hence, we need today's story. It's a story how we can move our transition from fear that binds us and holds us back and feeling like underdogs and seeing that with God, we have been preparing for these moments our entire lives. We are never the underdogs. Using the words of Roger Nim's commentary on this text, when we face that enormous giant, whether sickness, family breakups, financial disasters, addictions, shame, the same God who protected and provided for David will do the same thing for you and me and it will be an unmitigated victory, but only if we stand with God. This image of Saul being loaded down with weapons and armor really is a silly image when you think about it. Out-arming Goliath was folly. But Saul does this to David because that's the way he understood things. This is how you overcome your foes. But David knew better. And immediately he strips away sword and shield and he grabs creek rocks and a slingshot. What a contrast. This is like standing in front of a tank with your fist in the air. And the power of this moment is that David knew who he was. He would not allow Goliath or Saul to compromise that. He knew himself well enough to reject what others wanted him to become and how to face challenges like Goliath. 
you and I will never hold sword and shield in hand like David against Goliath. But we do face our own Goliaths at some point in life. We face hard decisions and difficult circumstances, and we are today. And others might want to lay down upon us things that weigh us down and cause us to fear and maybe compromise who we really are. But at the end of the day, it seems that we're best equipped when we trust what God has shown us in Christ to still be true. As one person wrote, in his armor, David looked like every person who has flailed around as they are trapped in garments, literally or metaphorically, trying to remove them. His head was swallowed up in a helmet too big for his head, and he could hardly stand wearing excess chainmail. Such as it feels when any of us try to become something that we were never meant to be. And the strength of David was a faith in God that allowed him to remember that he never faced things alone. No one president on this day believed in David. No one here truly stood with David, only God. Hold that image of David for yourself today. Him shedding off armor as he walked out to face Goliath, because this is the point that I think is so powerful in this story. But what a beautiful metaphor to shed those things and to be freed. We too at times need to shed off the things the world tells us that we need to wear. So what do you need to shed today that wants you to live in fear or protect yourself from something other than God's desires for you? No, we may not ever actually shed armor and chain mail or face actual giants, but we are tempted to arm ourselves with things that do not reflect what God has given us to face such things. Extraordinary. Extraordinary is one of my favorite words. It's a word that describes something that is grand, that, that stands out, that is um, above everything else that's powerful. But if you actually enunciate it as it's written, you can say extra ordinary. Now, I like to say the word that way sometimes because it emphasizes something that's, that's wonderfully ordinary. It communicates something that says, you are amazing just as you are. And I know it's not the true meaning of the word, but it could be. David was extraordinary. His faith was a product of his willingness to do hard, unglamorous work, mostly out of the sight of anyone else. Remember last week, if you were with us, Jesse kept him away from the blessing last week. They had had him out of sight and out of mind tending sheep. David became the person he was while he watched over sheep by himself in a dangerous land. Using that time in the presence of God to come to know God, but never actually being alone. So many people in our lives become giants of faith because they work hard each and every day out of sight. I'm thinking of the single parent who still finds time to give that child a bath and in these days become a teacher, cooking dinner, 
finding a way to serve others in the midst of that. Heroes are forged by those that we don't see each and every day because they're taking care of family members who are sick, aging, or both. And for the most part, we know very few of those heroes, doctors and nurses, who at this very moment are standing up against the Goliath of this pandemic. David does not enter this story with accolades. He enters this story as an unknown, thought to be an underdog. I don't know about you, but I have been shaped by parents and people of faith who did so many extraordinary things to give me what I need in life. How many people have put the extraordinary work in to make you who you are today? I bet a few people come to mind. Jesus was extraordinary. And this is exactly who Christ calls us to be. Jesus was a washer of feet. He was a turner of cheek. He was a breaker of bread. He was a healer of hurts. He was a forgiver of sins. And if we will be this as a church, we will face and over overcome all things. Samuel Wells writes that Goliath in the end, Goliath's problem is not that he's too strong, but he's too weak. The more we try to become Goliath, the weaker we become. It shows we've lost sight of where true power lies and who we really are. Jesus has told us. Christ taught us that love defeats hate. Peace defeats violence. Hospitality defeats division. Forgiveness defeats sins. Sacrifice defeats the fear of not getting our way. Generosity defeats poverty. Equity and equality defeat inequality. These are our creek rocks of faith. And these are the only things that we come armed with as followers of Jesus Christ anytime we stand before Goliath today. To overcome our Goliaths, we will need each and every one of these things. We will need to do the extraordinary work that each of us and each of these things represents. We will need to find ways to be creative as a church to keep the community together. We will, as Lee mentioned earlier, work harder at reaching out and stay in connection with one another, making calls, getting online if we have to. We will need to arm ourselves with a small task of maintaining distances and small gatherings, and it will be difficult and it will be disappointing at times, but yet, we have been preparing for this moment our whole lives in our walk with Christ. We have what we need. We will endure. We are not the underdogs. So may we remember we who are in Christ. And may we put on the armor of God and nothing more. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Thanks be to God. Amen.